And here we go, everybody. A Christmas edition of Jamal About Sports coming to you on Christmas Eve day. December 24th, 2019, kicking off the show, the classic Christmas in Hollis by Run DMC. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We've got a big show to get to. We have got Week 17 coming up in the NFL with plenty of playoff implications uh, on the line in some of these games. We'll get to those. Uh, We'll discuss some college football. We've got the uh, first two games of the playoff on Saturday, Clemson, Ohio State, and Oklahoma versus LSU. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about the NBA and then actually on this uh, Christmas Eve as we are in the holiday spirit, two uh, very heartwarming uh, human interest stories to get to to close out the show. But we begin with the NFL and um, we begin very, very briefly uh, with the Lions. And I promise, I know I say I've said that probably the last three weeks and I've droned on for about 15 minutes, but uh, I promise we're going to make it short and sweet here. Uh, another loss this week uh, at Denver, which is good. Uh, Lions now currently hold the third pick in the draft. Um, could get to the second pick, assuming they lose to Green Bay this week, which I'm pretty sure they will. Green Bay needs the game to clinch uh, potentially number one overall seed in the NFC. So they will not, even though they've clinched the NFC North by way of their win over the Vikings last night um, in Minnesota on Monday night as uh, Kirk Cousins comes up small yet again in a big spot. Um, The Packers win uh, on Sunday, and then I think if... I'm trying to remember. If San Francisco loses to Seattle, then the Packers would be the number one overall seed, and obviously the road through the NFC would go through Lambeau, which uh, is obviously... You know, tough place to play, particularly as we get into uh, January here with the weather there. You never know what it's going to be. Um, and it's interesting. This Packers team is is a different team than what we're used to seeing. You know, uh, Rodgers has been good, not great this year. Uh, he did just enough last night for them to win. But they've found uh, a hell of a running game with this uh, Aaron Jones uh, and Jamal Williams, who spells him from time to time, also a pretty good back. And um, the defense is very good. Look, they went out. They, they, they understood that they had no pass rush anymore. They let Clay Matthews go. Um, Nick Perry, uh, who'd been there for a while, a kid out of USC, I think is probably out of the league now, or he's, maybe he's on IR all year. I'm not sure. But in any event, pass rush was a major issue for them, and their secondary was a major issue. So, you know, if you paid attention to the way the Packers have built their defense the last few years, they've invested heavily in the secondary, drafting guys like Jair Alexander and Kevin King fairly high. Darnell Savage is a safety out of Maryland this year in the first round. Um, so they've invested a lot of resources. They've signed Adrian Amos, a fine, strong safety from the Bears. So they've invested a lot of resources in the secondary. It's paying off. Those guys are all playing well. Um, and then they needed pass rush. So they signed the Smith brothers, quote-unquote, even though they're not related, Zadarius Smith from the Ravens and Preston Smith from the Redskins. And Zadarius Smith, very good player for the Redskins. He's blown up with, with Green Bay. He's been absolutely tremendous. He was all over the field last night. Uh, he's had a monster year. I think he's up to 11 or 12 sacks now on the season. And Preston Smith, you know, he was one. I always liked him uh, coming out of Mississippi State. He's flashed at times for the Redskins, and he's done the same with Green Bay. I mean, he's not as good as Zadarius Smith, but he's a good player. And so they address kind of their two biggest needs, um, and it's paid off uh, in spades. And that that defense is very good. Um, And so they win ugly now. This is not the, you know, listen, Devontae Adams is still one of the best receivers in the league. He had, what, 12, 13 catches last night. But the, the Packers get very little out of the tight end position, unless, of course, they're playing the Lions. And then whomever they put at tight end will have a big game. Um, but they don't really have a true number two receiver. Alan Lazard, the big bodied receiver out of Iowa State, uh, who had the huge touchdown catch against the Lions, who I think was on Jacksonville's practice squad, uh, went undrafted out of Iowa State, which I was surprised. I know he doesn't run fast, but he's a big, big dude at like 6'5", 230, uh, and displayed great hands and body control in college. So I thought he'd at least be a mid to late round pick. Wasn't. Uh, but of course, with Green Bay, he's now flourishing, and he's you know I don't know that he's a true number two yet, but he's at least a useful piece for them. Um, but they're really, they're you know again Green Bay's winning with a running de- a running game and defense, and you know that'll play in Lambeau in January. Uh, you know if the Saints have to go and play 
Green Bay and Lambeau, you know, that 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 that'll be a tough matchup. Now, look, the Saints play great defense too. I think they're the best team in the NFC. Uh, and the Saints can run the ball too because they've got the two-headed monster with Latavius Murray and Alvin Kamara. And Sean Payton has shown that he can beat you in multiple ways. You know, yes, they can have the high-octane offense when they're playing at home on turf and in the dome, but uh, they'll beat you multiple ways. And he'll throw the most intriguing player, or one of them anyway, in the NFC, uh, Taysom Hill in there at you. It, you know, run some Wildcat. They'll run them up. They'll line them up in the backfield. They'll line them up at tight end. They'll line them up in the slot. Uh, they get that guy the ball multiple ways. He's an absolute stud. So you know, if that if that put it this way, I would not mind seeing an NFC Championship game between the Saints and Green Bay in Lambeau in the snow. Now, just from a pure visual standpoint, you know, from a viewing pleasure standpoint, uh, you know that the Saints will get hosed by the refs because it's you know, first of all, Green Bay favored nation status team of all time, them and the Patriots, so they'll get. All kinds of calls, and then the Saints seem to have a proclivity to get screwed by the refs recently, as we've seen. So uh, that could be the perfect storm. Boy, uh, that, that might set the NFL on its ear. We'll see if that ever comes to pass. Um, but in any event, getting back to the Lions real briefly. So if Green Bay wins on Sunday, Lions will uh, lock in. It could do no worse, I think, than the third uh, pick in the draft. Um, but if they if 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 Washington somehow beats Dallas, Dallas needs the game in the worst way. We'll get to that in a little bit after they laid an egg in Philly. Uh, Dallas needs to win. Philly needs to lose for Dallas to go eight and eight and win the division. Um, Philly wins, they're in, and they'll play the Giants. Although the Giants, I don't think they're, they're not, the Giants will not make it easy on the Eagles. Um, now the question is. What is Dallas's state of mind after that very depressing loss to the Eagles? Very sloppy. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. Let's just, we'll wrap up, put a bow on the Lions draft prospects in a second. So if Washington can beat Dallas and the Lions lose, the Lions will then have the second pick in the draft, which means likely they'll have the chance to take Chase Young, the stud defensive end out of Ohio State, a position also of major need. Many, many people, and it's still early, right? Other names may emerge. As we get into the bowl, past the bowl season, into you know the Senior Bowl, uh, the Combine, and all the the hype and the lead up prior to the draft, but as it stands today, Chase Young is considered to be probably maybe the best overall player in the draft. You know, Joe Burrow, the fine quarterback out of LSU, was would right now likely be the number one pick going to the Bengals. He's an Ohio kid, also he wants to play there. Um, and uh, the Bengals certainly need a changing of the guard at quarterback. Andy Dalton is not terrible, but he's not the answer. He's been there for, what, nine, eight or nine years now. Um, made the playoffs a few years, but, you know, he's not the guy to bring him to the next level. Time for them to move on. Uh, I think Andy Dalton would be a fine, fine backup for any team. Um, and maybe, you know, an, again, a, a, a marginal above average starter for, for some others. But, um so you would think Burrow would go one, which means if the Lions are picking two, they could take Chase Young, and it's a major area of need. It's a stud defensive end. Lions, as we've uh, you know chronicled all year long, defensive line awful this year. Um, you know, no pass rush whatsoever. Uh, Trey Flowers again, nice player, not a stud by any stretch. I mean, you know, these. It's funny. I see these delusional Lions fans. They cling to these idiotic pro football focus. Uh, ratings that he's, you know, oh, he's fourth or whatever amongst pass rush. The guy has six sacks on the year, and all you have to do is watch him play, or maybe he has seven, but just watch him play. He is not a stud pass rusher. You know who's a stud pass rusher in their own division? Daniil Hunter for the Vikings. That's a stud pass rusher. Zadarius Smith, who we just talked about for Green Bay. That's a stud pass rusher. Trey Flowers, nice player. Nice player. He's not bad, but again, not worth $90 million. And, um, you know, he's just he, he's not a true impact player. He's not a game wrecker. Chase Young has a potential to be a game wrecker. He's a game wrecker right now in college. He's got the NFL body. Um, so if you're a Lions fan, you're praying they get a chance at Chase Young and that, and that Bob Quinn is smart enough to draft him. Now, even if the Lions have the third pick, they still could get him because Washington might take a left tackle because Lord knows they need one. Because Trent Williams never playing for them again, and plus he's old anyway. 
um, and has had tons of injuries over the course of his career. So the kid out of Alabama, Thomas, uh, could be the pick there. Because, look, uh, you know, you can never have too many pass rushers. I get it. But if the Redskins like Montez Sweat, who they just took this year, the the, the kid out of uh, Mississippi State, and they have Jonathan Allen and they have Deron Payne, um, you know, they've got a pretty good front there, or at least a potential for a pretty good front there in Washington as it stands now. Uh, maybe they go with the left tackle to try to build around and, and, and provide, you know, a support system around Dwayne Haskins, who looks like likely to be their quarterback of the future. So the Lions could still get a chance to chase Young with the third pick in the draft. All right, that's it. That's it. I'm done. No more Lions. We're done. So let's get back to Philly. Dallas. So Dallas controlled their own destiny. We talked about it last week. All they had to do, not all they had to do, but they had to beat Philly in Philly. Look, division games on the road, even if the other team is having a bad year, other than, you know, if, if they've got, you know, other than the lines, of course, but, um, you know, those are always hard games. But Philly was way undermanned in this one. I mean, we talked about the fact that Greg Ward Jr., former quarterback in college at University of Houston, was now prominently involved as one of their wide receivers. You know, no Aguilar, no um, Alshon Jeffrey. You know, Zach Ertz played banged up. Dallas Goddard had a great game, the other tight end uh, for Philly. You know, they're down to, you know, listen. um, What's the kid's name? The running back. Oh, boy. Why can't I remember his name now? Sanders? Miles Sanders? Um, anyway, you know, the, he, he, he'd been splitting carries all year with Jordan Howard. Um, he showed up and, and, you know, has been more part of the offense with Howard. Hurt Miles Sanders. Yeah, geez. Nice, Jamal. Um, anyway. Philly way undermanned. Dallas pretty much had their full complement of players. And they laid an egg. I mean, 17-9. Philly tried to give Dallas every opportunity to win that game. I mean, they missed a field goal at the end of the first half. Dallas played a miserable first half. Philly was up, um, what was it, 10-3 at the time with a chance to go up 13-3. Missed a long field goal. Uh, you could have argued there that Peterson should have gone for it rather than try a 55-yard field goal because obviously if they missed, then, um, you know, uh, Dallas got good field position, which they did. And then Dallas made a field goal. So instead of 13-3, it's now 10-6. And so that's a big swing right there. That's a six-point swing. Um, you know, Philly tried their best to keep Dallas around and, and, and give Dallas every opportunity to steal that game. And Dallas wouldn't take it. I mean, if Dak, you know, if he had an open guy, he missed him. Or guys dropped passes. I mean, Gallup had a huge drop. Amari Cooper had a big drop. Amari Cooper not on the field for the most important play of the game for reasons known only to the Cowboys. Zeke Elliott uh, not on the field. Uh, after a nine-yard pickup on first down to get to second and one, wasn't on the field for second or third down. They try a ridiculous uh, quick pitch to the short side of the field, option pitch, to Tony Pollard, who then, of course, fumbles. He didn't get it, which wouldn't have been the end of the world because um, then they would have punted but or I think maybe even had a chance for a long field goal. But then he fumbled, of course, at the end of the play, and, and Philly recovered it. So just an absolute disaster. Questionable play calling by Kellen Moore. Um, you know, weird personnel usage there by by, Jay, by Jason Garrett. Um, just, just a bad, sloppy, ugly game. And Dallas' defense wasn't terrible. I mean, they gave up 17 points. You give up 17 points, you should win. Now, they gave up some key conversions late in the game, but again, that game is on Dak Prescott in the Dallas offense. He did not have a good game. Did not. 25 for 44, 265 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. Okay. But, you know, again, and we're and, and, and to be fair, Dallas' defense, I mean, one sack of Carson Wentz. And Carson Wentz had a throwback game. He looked great, 319 yards. 31 for 40. Again, with with a completely depleted receiver core. You know, the top two receivers were Dallas Goddard and Miles Sanders, tight end and a running back. And then Greg Ward Jr., four for 71. I mean, Zach Ertz tried to, to, to power through, got hurt, broke a rib, came back in and kept playing. Um, but, 
you know, just just a bad performance by the Cowboys. Now, look, give the Eagles credit. They were game, and now they control their own destiny. They win, and they're in. Um, but, again, Giants are not going to make that game easy. Look, I understand the Giants blew out, and they didn't blow them out. They had to go to overtime to beat the Redskins. Daniel Jones had a five-touchdown day, 400 yards, looked great. Barkley looked great. You know, those are, you know, if you're a Giants fan, you know, hopefully a sign of things to come. Again, massive grain of salt, right? Redskins aren't any good. We all know that. So, um, you know, and Dwayne Haskins, by the way, had the game of his life against the Giants before he got hurt. So, uh, Giants have a lot of work to do. Uh, again, I still, a low Carter finally showed up. He had a sack and a half, I think, in that game. I still think the Giants have some young pieces in place on that defense um, to be uh, much better than they've been this year. Much better. And the Jones kid certainly, I mean, he it's funny. I mean, he really is Eli Light. I mean, he, he almost sounds like him too in the press conferences, right? He got a little bit of that Southern drawl, very calm, very kind of monotone, uh, unassuming, right? He's not flashy, you know, kind of got the got the school page, schoolboy haircut. Like it's, it's really, uh, it's almost eerie how similar he is to Eli in a lot of ways. Um and so, you know, look, there's there's stuff there. Now, look, he's got to get much better with his pocket awareness. He fumbles the ball way too much when he gets sacked. He holds the ball way too long a lot of times. But those are things you can work with. I mean, you can get better at that, right? He does have good anticip- anticipation. He does have good timing. The arm is plenty strong enough. Uh, and I think he certainly has the right mentality, the right head, the right temperament to play quarterback, particularly in New York. So there's a lot to work with there. Now, they need to get him some weapons more than Barkley. They still need to probably tweak that offensive line. Uh, Evan Engram's foot injury is a major issue now. Who knows if he's ever going to play again, whether or not he'll be as effective if he does. So Giants may need to probably invest some resources in tight end, which they didn't think they were going to probably have to, but they're going to have to now. But again, if you're a good GM and you're smart, you can find impact-ish type tight ends in the third, fourth, fifth round of the draft. Just again, look around the league. Only dopes like Bob Quinn draft tight ends in the top 10. And Martin Mayhew. Only the Lions draft top t- tight ends in the top 10 in the last five years, twice. I mean, look at look at, look at at Jack Doyle for the Colts. I don't even know what round he was picking. You know, right now you could say arguably the two best tight ends in the league are Kelsey and George Kittle. George Kittle, I think, was a fourth or a fifth round pick. Kelsey was a second or a third round pick. So Giants can get a good tight end. They're going to definitely need, they need a stud wide receiver. Now, um, the Slayton kid showed a lot of promise this year as a deep threat, um, you know, but he's not a number one. He's not ready to be a number one yet. You know, listen, I love Golden Tate. Golden Tate's a great slot run after the catch guy. The problem is, so is Sterling Shepard. They're kind of the same guy, except Sterling Shepard's a much younger version of Golden Tate. So, you know, who knows? I mean, listen, I, I don't think it's any, you, I don't think it's a bad thing to have two of those guys on your team. Because teams play four wide receiver sets so much. Um, but the Giants really, they need a true number one stud for for Jones for next year. So, And that could be Jerry Judy from Alabama. right? Giants are going to be drafting, what, fifth, sixth maybe, depending on, on what they do this week. Um, that might be a little too high for a wide receiver, but maybe not. I mean, the kid's really good. So we'll see. All right. Um, so... NFC, let's go to AFC playoff scenarios first, shall we? So, you've got the Steelers laid an egg against the Jets this week. And I'll admit it, I've been, you know, singing the Steelers' praises now for, what, a month? And they're, they're, they're stumbling here down the stretch. They really are. And Delvin Duck Hodges was a nice little story. He's been awful the last couple of games. One touchdown, six interceptions. He got benched against the Jets, and Mason Rudolph came in and gave him a little spark, and then Mason Rudolph unfortunately got hurt. So then um, they had to bring Hodges back in again, and then Hodges came in again, and, and, and you know basically the game was over. Now give the Jets credit. I mean, they were game. They played hard. It was an ugly game. 
but look, that was a game the Steelers had to have. We talked about it, and the Jets won. So, you know, look, the Jets at least have shown some signs here of improving down the stretch. The defense has played much better. Jamal Adams and Marcus May. Marcus May had himself a great game against the Steelers. And Jamal Adams is, you know, ever since a little brouhaha about him, you know, throwing a little hissy fit when he thought he was maybe going to get traded, uh, to his credit, has stepped And remember at the time I said, look, I like Jamal Adams. I want him to be good. Um, I thought he didn't handle that particular situation well. But give him credit. He's come back and played great ever since then. Uh, Marcus May, who's had trouble staying on the field and staying healthy, played really well um, uh, on Sunday. And then the other thing is, is that uh, they're doing this all on defense without two of their best linebackers, Mosley and uh, Williamson. So, you know, assuming they can get both those guys back healthy next year, uh, that defense could be pretty good. They, they need to get some guys in uh, at corner. Um, they need to get a little better there um, and probably a little bit better pass rush. You know, if they had a real true stud pass rusher, obviously every team could use that. Just don't have one either. But uh, give them credit. And they need to rebuild that offensive line too. They need a lot of work there. But um, again, if you're a Jets fan, at least there's hope for next year, right? You got the young quarterback. You got to feel like Le'Veon Bell will have a better year next year behind hopefully a better offensive line. Um, again, defense potentially could be very good. So at least there's some hope there if you're a Jets fan. But let's go to the AFC playoff scenario, shall we? So um, you got the Steelers, the Titans, and lo and behold, nobody saw this coming, not even their own organization. Somehow the Raiders are, are alive for the last playoff spot in the AFC. So the Raiders needed five things to happen on Sunday, right? This past Sunday, for them to even still be alive going into Week 17, all five happened. They had to beat the Chargers, and they played the Chargers in Carson City. It was basically, and and by the way, this is one of the more underreported stories in sports, certainly the NFL, is the travesty that is the San Diego Chargers playing their home games in this stupid 27,000-seat soccer stadium, basically just outside of L.A. Every... Home game for them is basically a road game because all the Chargers fans, and rightfully so, by the way, it's not like San Diego's right outside. It's not like the Meadowlands are in New Jersey, you know, and it's the New York Jets, New York Giants, because it's, it's, it's 14 miles outside of Midtown Manhattan. No, San Diego's not close to there. It's a trek. And the Chargers fans are mad that their greedy owners, the Spanoses, tried to hijack the city to build them a new stadium. The city said, go scratch. And so now they're going to go share a stadium with the Rams and Stan Kroenke in the next couple of years. So they, none of their fans go to the games anymore. So they have no fans. We all know LA is a terrible sports town to begin with anyway. Half the people that live there like other teams because they're from someplace else because they're transplants. So, I mean, it's a joke. And so the Raiders, who have played you know, in California in one sh way, shape, or form or the other for the, their entire existence, have a rabid fan base. They all made the trip down south because it's the last time the Raiders are going to play in the state of California. Also, unfortunately, by the way, because then they're moving to Vegas. Although I have to say that, right, what, what organization seems more better suited if you were going to put a pro football team in Vegas than the Raiders? So in any event, it was literally a Raiders home game. That whole stadium was Raiders fans. The Chargers at a supposedly a home game had to go to a silent count on third down because the crowd was so loud in favor of the Raiders. So the Raiders had to win that game. They did. They needed um, Tennessee to lose. They did. They needed the Steelers to lose. They did. And then what was the other thing they needed? They needed, uh, they needed the Steelers to lose. They needed Tennessee to lose. They... They had to win. What were the two other things? Maybe they needed Cleveland to lose? And the Colts... No, because the Colts won. I forget what the things were, but everything that needed they needed to happen had to happen. Now, in order for them to get into the playoffs, they've got to win. They played Denver, I think, at Denver. Not going to be easy, by the way. Denver's played much better here in the second half of the season. Um, their defense is pretty good. 
The, the rookie QB, Drew Locke, giving him a little life. Philip Lindsay, the running back's good. Cortland Sutton, wide receiver, good. Um, so that's not going to be easy. And, and by the way, they'd just be classic Raiders to lose that game, right? Um, but, you know, look, Denver's 6-9, the Raiders are 7-8. Like, it's not, you know, the Raiders may be a slight favorite. I don't even know if they will be. They may not even be. I think the game's in Denver. It is in Denver. We just talked about it, right? They're not playing at home. So it's in Denver, uh, and you know the Broncos are going to want to knock the Raiders out. So, and look, it's Vic Fangio's first year as a head coach. He wants to finish strong there in Denver. You know, I think at one point they were like 1-6. in six. So if they're going to finish up 7-9, and nine, that means they had a nice second half and a strong finish, bring a little momentum going into next year, into the offseason. So that's not going to be an easy task by any stretch of the imagination. But the Raiders have to win. They need uh, Houston. They need Tennessee to lose. Tennessee's playing Houston now. Houston has clinched the playoff spot and it's clinched the division. And we talked about that. All they just needed to beat um, Tampa Bay on Saturday, which they did. Another four interceptions, by the way, by Jameis Winston. Easily could have been six. Through two other ones that were easy, right to guys on the Titans, and they dropped them. I mean, on the Texans, and they dropped them. Um, Winston started out the game, I believe, yeah, first series of the game, pick six. I mean, he stinks. He absolutely stinks. You know, and I got to hear Nate Burleson, who's doing the game, who I, t- I generally like, but I mean, boy, is he a glass half full guy. I mean, trying to, you know, talk up, uh, espouse the virtues of Jameis Winston. Hey, hey Nate, you, you can't win with a quarterback that has thrown as many interceptions as he throws. I believe he's up to 28 now on the year. And, that, and that's not even including then the, force, the, the lost fumbles that he has. I think, he's, I think he's accounted for over 30 turnovers this year. 30. That's insane. I understand he puts up some gaudy numbers and he throws a nice deep ball. Uh, the guy's not a winning player. It's just not. But anyway, so they're going to need, the Raiders have to win. They need the Steelers to lose and they need Tennessee to lose. Um, and they need, I think, the Colts to lose. Right, because the Colts could get to eight and eight. So let's get to the schedule, shall we? Here we go. I'm gonna give it a whirl. So Baltimore is in, they've clinched the number one seed. Patriots in, they clinched the division. Chiefs could win. If the Chiefs win, they're gonna be twelve and four. And if Patriots lose, which they're not going to, but if they ever did lose to Miami, the Chiefs would be the two seed. But looks like the likely the Chiefs will be the three seed. Texans are going to be the four. Bills, five. And then the six is between Tennessee Steelers and the Raiders. And then the Colts are still technically alive, too. So you've got... No, I don't think the Colts are alive. They're six and nine. No, seven and eight. So the t- if the Titans win and the Steelers win, the Titans go because they win a tiebreaker over Pittsburgh based on strength of victory, apparently. If the Raiders win and the Steelers lose, they win a- the tiebreaker over Indianapolis. Oh, okay. So, all right, let's go to the schedule, shall we? Let's go to week 17. See who plays who here. So we know the Steelers play the Ravens. Now, they're going to catch a break. Now, I was wrong about this. To be the first to admit it. I kept saying that even if the Ravens didn't really have much to play for, they would still go hard against the Steelers because it's a blood feud and they want to make sure the Steelers don't make the playoffs. Uh, Harbaugh is doing the smart thing here. He's going to rest Lamar Jackson. He's been banged up a little bit recently. You know, he runs around all the time. Um, they have literally nothing to play for, right? They've clinched the number one seed. Uh, Mark Ingram got hurt. Uh, he wouldn't gonna he wouldn't he couldn't play this week anyway even if he wanted to but he's gonna miss the game um they're fine running back so um you know he's gonna rest some guys I don't have any problem with that we all know the NFL is a slog it's a grind uh you the Baltimore earned the right to rest their guys here they're 13 and two they've won 11 games in a row they've earned the right John Harbaugh needs to worry about his team not not anybody else's so that is fine. I have no issues with that. Um, so the Steelers, in, so by virtue of that, are catching a break here now. So they're going to play 
you know, a Ravens team with Robert Griffin the third playing quarterback, our old friend Toothy Griffin. Uh, <laughs> so they've got Baltimore. The Raiders are at Denver. We talked about that. Tennessee is at Houston. Now, good spot here out of the NFL. All those games are at 4 o'clock. So um, that'll be interesting. To That'll be fun to watch and scoreboard watch here. I mean, most of those games would be at 4 o'clock. Well, actually, Pittsburgh and Baltimore ordinarily would be a 1 o'clock game, right? East Coast game. So, um, so Pittsburgh wins. They're in. Um, no, they're not. Sorry. Pittsburgh needs to win, and then they need Tennessee to lose. They're playing at Houston. So, um, and I think Houston, if they win that game and the Chiefs lose, then Houston would be the higher-ranked seed. So that game is not meaningless for Houston. So that will be a tough and tall order for Tennessee. They just played a couple of weeks ago, as we know. Um, Houston managed to eke that one out. Uh, But Houston is a very strange team. You know, they had that, that, that stinker at home against the, the Broncos a few weeks ago. Uh, you know, they kind of eked the game out against a bad Buccaneers team. You know, they won 23-20. Shouldn't have been that close. Their offense did not look particularly good. They couldn't, I mean, look, Tampa Bay does have a good run defense, but they couldn't run the ball hardly at all. Uh, Deshaun Watson was not in sync. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins did not have a big game. Will Fuller is now hurt, one of their other receivers. Um, you know, it was a sloppy game. They got four picks off Jameis Winston, you know, and, and they still barely held on for 23-20 win. Not, not a great look. Houston is very strange. You know, again, there are times when they look great. You know, when Deshaun Watson is rolling, that offense looks great, and the defense at times can be really good. Um, you know, they've got all these high draft picks now in the secondary. A lot of them are from other teams. Right, like Hargraves, who was on Tampa Bay, that they signed Gary and Conley, the Raiders cut, who was a first round pick a couple of years ago. Jonathan Joseph has been there forever. He's a former first round pick. Uh, Justin Reed at safety. Um, you know, they've got some talent back there. You know, obviously we know no JJ Watt up front, but Whitney Merciless still a really good pass rusher. They were missing Bernardrick McKinney, who's one of the better inside linebackers nobody knows about. Zach Cunningham is another one, stud out of Vanderbilt. Well, that's who Jared Davis for the line is supposed to be, but isn't. Um, but that defense is still pretty good. I just I've no, I have no idea what to expect in that game. I would not be. I mean, if Tennessee won, wouldn't surprise me. If Houston won, wouldn't surprise me at all. So the Raiders need to win. They need Pittsburgh to lose, and they need Tennessee to lose. And then, and I think they need Indianapolis to lose. Indianapolis is playing at Jacksonville. Jacksonville just fired Tom Coughlin, who was sort of like, you know, president of football operations. You know, it, it seemed, it, it was, an, I guess, an interesting experiment, kind of like when the Knicks hired Phil Jackson to run their operations, right? Tom Coughlin had never been a front office guy. He's a coach. He's a coach. And he tried to institute all his coach rules in Jacksonville, right? 825 meeting, you know, 830 meeting means you got to be there at 825 and apparently levying all kinds of absurd fines for for fairly minor offenses. uh, Drove everybody nuts. The NFLPA objected strenuously. Apparently Dexter, uh, Dante Fowler got fined over $700,000 when he was a member of the Jaguars. Now he's on the Rams. Uh, Appealed, didn't have to pay it. Um, The NFLPA even issued a, a cryptic statement saying, you know, uh, your members may want to consider signing somewhere else as free agents. I mean, it was a total nightmare. And so Shad Khan, the owner of the Jaguars, just fired Coughlin uh, with a couple of weeks to go in the season. Uh, Dave Caldwell, their GM, and, and Doug Marone, the head coach, may still be back. With the thought there being, you know, he'd like he's going to give these guys a chance to operate, you know, free of the specter of Tom Coughlin looming over the organization. Now, look, Tom Coughlin, you know, it's interesting. Remember early in his tenure with the Giants, he drove everybody nuts too. And the players really didn't like him. And he became a little bit more flexible. He, he instituted the players council, right? Guys who would go to him. Um, you know, he, he, he kind of lightened up a little bit. He started showing, apparently, you know, away from football, he's a sweetheart of a man. But when he's football, he's all business. That's who he is. He's son of, you know, military guy. His father was in the military. Like, that's... He's old school. 
And so he started showing a little bit of his personal side to the players. And, you know, obviously, look, it worked out. They won two Super Bowls. But I guess he didn't, I guess he sort of reverted back to that while running the operations there in Jacksonville. And uh, it, it, it did not end well, obviously. So, um, so we'll see. I mean, Indianapolis at Jacksonville, uh, you know, Jacksonville's been a bit, big disappointment this year, right? I mean, Matt, two years ago, they were going toe-to-toe with the Raiders, and if not for a couple of bogus calls, might have beaten the, I mean, the Raiders, the Patriots. If not for a couple of bogus calls, they might have beaten the Patriots in New England, right? And now they're, you know, they, they, they've lost a ton of games and, and, you know, things are in a state of flux yet again, it, it would appear. Um, so that's what Oakland needs. They got to beat Denver. They need the Colts to lose. They need the Steelers to lose. They need Tennessee to lose. By the way, <laughs> not... Crazier things have happened. I mean, look, the idea that they needed five things to go their way this past week, and they did, and now they're going to need four. To get all nine, that's a lot to ask. Uh, as a matter of fact, I don't even know that Oakland's going to beat Denver this week. In fact, I'm going to say they're not going to beat Denver. So it's going to all be moot. But it's interesting, at least, that it's even still a possibility. Um, and then Pittsburgh at Baltimore. I, I mean, I, 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 my head is telling me that it's time for me to jump off the Steelers bandwagon. I mean, they, they really are so banged up. I mean, Connor got hurt again. Um, you know, Pouncey got hurt again, the center, right? They're back to Hodges. They can't even play uh, Mason Rudolph even if they wanted to. Um, you know, look, their defense is fine. They played fine against the Jets. That was not the issue. Um, but they just they can't muster any offense. And even with the Ravens resting a bunch of guys, you know, the Ravens just have that, that magic, that juice right now where even their backups are probably going to come in and play great. Um, even though they don't really need the game, it's still in Baltimore. I, and then, again, like I said, Houston is so Jekyll and Hyde. You, you never, you know, just when you want to get on their bandwagon and then they go ahead and give you lay an egg. Um, they're already in the playoffs. I, I'm going to say Tennessee wins that game. I'm going to say Pittsburgh loses to Baltimore. Um, and even if the Raiders win, and that makes it moot because they're going to need Tennessee to lose, I'm going to say Tennessee is going to be the sixth seed. Improbably, Tennessee is going to be the sixth seed in the AFC. That's my prediction. I'd like to see the Steelers. I'm going to say it's going to be Tennessee. Now, fl- flipping over to the NFC, um, as I said, if Green Bay wins and the Niners lose, then Green Bay, let me just make sure I've got that right, but I'm pretty sure Green Bay would be the number one overall seed. Um, Let's go over the NFC here. We talked about Dallas and Philly. We know what that's all about now. Philly win and they're in. Dallas win, Philly lost, they're in. Um, Minnesota's in as a wild card at 10 and five. So they play, I think the Bears, that game is meaningless for them. Uh, Saints 12 and three. 49ers 12 and 3, Seattle 11 and 4. Yeah. So if Seattle beats the Niners, which is going to be a tall order, Seattle's down to now having to pick up Marshawn Lynch off the scrap heap, off the street, because Chris Carson got hurt after Rashad Penny got hurt the week before. I think pro, uh, they're down to like fourth string running backs there in Seattle. And now, literally, like fifth, they just signed Robert Turbin um, and. Marshawn Lynch, both of whom, obviously Marshawn Lynch more famously, former Seahawk, but Turbin had played there a little bit as well, so he knows the system. But, and then, again, weird, right? Just when you think you know something about this league, Seattle at home against Arizona got kind of blown out this past Sunday. Very strange. Plus, and maybe more, not maybe more significantly, but as significant, Seattle lost a left tackle, Dwayne Brown. That's going to be a major problem, especially against that front in San Francisco. So San Francisco wins, they clinch the number one seed because even if Green Bay wins, they'll be 13-3, and three, but San Francisco beat Green Bay. So San Francisco would be the number one seed. If they lose to Seattle and Green Bay wins, Green Bay is the number one seed. Um, wait, hold on. What about the Saints? The Saints win, they'll be 13-3. and three. Why would Green Bay be 13-3? and three? Oh, because they have a better conference record because they'll be 10-2 and two and the best the Saints can do is 9-3. and three. There you go. So, yeah. And who do the Saints play? Oh, we got to take a look at that. So, that's your, that's your playoff picture. So, Seattle's in. 
So everybody's in in the NFC, right? One, two, three, four, five. Well, we know the only thing up for grabs is the NFC East division champion. All the other playoff teams are in. Now it's a question of seeding in the NFC. There you go. So the Saints, I think, are locked in to number two here. No, they're not. Because if Seattle wins, they'll be they'll be they'll be this two seed. San Francisco would be nine and three in the conference. The Saints have to play. Who are they playing this week? And by the way, remember I said I thought that was a trap game for the Saints. I thought they could easily lose at the Titans. They were losing, and they came back and won 38-28. Very nice job out of the Saints, by the way. I mean, they really, that's, that. I think, I still think they're the best team in the NFC. They're the most balanced. Because their offense is as good as anybody's, and, and I think their defense is just fine. If not better than, it's not, it's better than just fine. So, and by the way, Michael Thomas, 145 catches and almost 1,700 yards this year. And he's not a diva and, and, and a look-at-me guy either. Guy just goes out and plays. He's a dream. Wide receiver for the Saints. So they play the Panthers. You would think they're going to win that game. Panthers are in, you know, uh, you know, I don't want to say tank mode, but they're in experimental mode. They started Will Greer, their rookie quarterback, who I think was a third or fourth round pick out of West Virginia uh, on Sunday, and it did not go well. So... If the Saints win, let's say, I'm going to say the Saints are going to win. I'm going to say the Saints are going to win. All right, let's get back to the standings here. So the Saints win, they'll be 13-3, and three, and they'll be 9-3 and three in, the division, in the conference. So let's say Green Bay wins. See, I'm going to say San Francisco is going to beat Seattle, though. Seattle's just too banged up. So that would mean... Niners, number one seed. Green Bay, would be ten and two in the conference. Saints would be nine and three. So Green Bay would be the two seed still. Saints would be the three. Seattle, well, yeah, Saints would be the three. The winner of the junk NFC East is the four. Minnesota looks like they would be the... F- well, no. Minnesota... If Minnesota wins on Sunday, they'd be 11-5. and five. If Seattle loses, which I'm going to say they are, they'll be 11-5. and five. They'd have an 8-4 and four conference record. Minnesota would have an 8-4 and four conference record. But Seattle beat Minnesota head-to-head. So Seattle would be the five, <clears throat> excuse me, and Minnesota would be the six. Okay, so that means then that Minnesota would play um, Dallas or Philly. Okay, all right. So that's your NFC playoff picture. That's your AFC playoff picture. It's going to be a fun weekend. I will take a short break. We'll be back right after this. back here on the Christmas Eve edition of Jamal About Sports. Had to do it. The greatest rock and roll Christmas song of all time. Christmas rapping by the waitresses. Taking us in out of break. Alright, let's do a little college football. So, as I said before, we've got OSU Clemson, Oklahoma LSU. Um, I'm pretty sure OSU Clemson's the early game and LSU Oklahoma is the late game. Let's just make sure about that. Um, we talked about Clemson all year. About the fact that, you know, the coach is playing and nobody respects his card, whining and 
you know, whining and groaning, moaning and groaning about the fact that they're the three seed. Actually, I got it wrong, of course. LSU-Oklahoma is the four o'clock game. Clemson-Ohio State, the eight o'clock game. Um, and look, the ACC, not a very good football conference this year at all. So Clemson really didn't play anybody that great. Um, but they still haven't lost a game in two years. <laughs> they're defending national champions. Uh, and as I said before, they've got studs up and down that roster. Uh, now look, Ohio State, very impressive this year, right? Blew most teams out. Uh, Justin Fields, the quarterback, had sick numbers, although I think a lot of those are inflated. I don't think he's all that good, frankly. Um, I think against a good defense, he'll make mistakes. Uh, a lot of his touchdown passes were against bad teams, jump ball type scenarios where, you know, his guys just outwork the other guys. I don't know that that's going to fly against a team like Clemson with the athletes that they have. Um, now, listen, I'm not saying Justin Fields is bad, but he's not as good as his numbers look. He's not Trevor Lawrence, put it that way, and he's not Joe Burrow, um, and he's not even Jalen Hurts. So of the four teams that are left, he's the, he's the worst, quote-unquote, of those quarterbacks. Doesn't mean he's bad. I'm not saying he's bad. The numbers are eye-popping. I, I, no question. And he's look, he's good. He's athletic. He can run. He's got a big... That, I, I just The games that I've seen Ohio State play, I don't love them. My point is, I'm taking Clemson in that game, and I'm going to take LSU, and we're going to get LSU and Clemson for the finals. Oklahoma, I mean, look, they kind of they kind of snuck in there. You guys know I'm an Oklahoma guy. I like them. Also an LSU guy. Um, Oklahoma did, to be fair, get in by the skin of their teeth there. By the hair of their chinny-chin-chin, they got in as the four seed, right? Took overtime win over Baylor. Um, watch Kenneth Murray, though. Linebacker number nine for Oklahoma. is a stud. If there's a way the Lions could figure out a way to get him, I'd be very happy. <laughs> um, LSU may not have uh, Edward Solaire, their running back. Still think, you know, they'll, he's a great player and a great little story. You know, short of bowling ball type of running back. I, I think that they, they've got enough over there still to be fine. Now, this is not your, you know, your father's LSU teams, right, where they have a great defense, and a one-dimensional offense, right? We've talked about it all year. They're wide open. Burrow, amazing year this year. Won the Heisman in a walk, deservedly so. Um, LSU defense, good, not great. And Oklahoma, we know, can score on anybody. So that should be a thrilling game. I mean, I'm looking at that to be like 41-35, something like that. Um, I mean, and honestly, there's not a lot of other bowl games with a lot of cachet this year. I mean, first of all, the way the schedule bears out, uh, on New Year's Day, we have one, two, four games only on New Year's Day this year. Four. A couple of decent ones. Minnesota, Auburn, eh. Michigan, Alabama, I mean, look, two, two you know, pedigreed programs, right? Big time names. Good if you're going to want to scout, right? Lots of pro prospects probably out of that game. But, you know, I mean, not, you could do worse than that game. Oregon, Wisconsin, eh. Rose Bowl, eh. You know, if, if you're a quarterback needy team, a fan of a quarterback needy team, you want to take a look at Justin Herbert, okay. Now you want to check out Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin, the running back, all right. Eh, great. Georgia Baylor, I think, will be a fun game to watch. Um, actually, you know what? Again, Georgia's offense has not been very good all year. Um, but still, two pretty good teams. That's a Sugar Bowl. And, but, I mean, again, not, not a lot of cachet, these other bowl games. They're just not all that exciting. I mean, Memphis, Penn State, I'm actually interested to watch some of that game maybe on the 28th. Uh, that's this Saturday. Um, that's a 12 o'clock game, so that's before, you know, the, the, main, the main event. That's the undercard, so to speak, right? Um, you know, Memphis... Nice year out of a, you know, non-Power 5 conference against Penn State. You know, pedigreed program from the Big Ten. So kind of interested to see how, if, if Memphis can hang with Penn State in that game. And we'll see if Penn State's up for that game, right? They had higher hopes, I think, for their year this year. They're playing in the, the well, that's the Cotton Bowl. I mean, that's, that's a, still a pretty good bowl game. Um, you know, Notre Dame-Iowa State. I mean, I can't think of a worse game. How is Notre Dame? I mean, listen, I understand that they're always overrated. 
They're ranked 15th, which is, you know, probably about where they should be ranked this year. I'm actually surprised they're not in a, a more high, a higher profile game. Interesting. And then, I mean, I'm looking around New Year's Eve. It's not a lot. Utah, Texas, I mean, maybe is the best game. I mean, Virginia Tech, Kentucky, eh. Florida State, I didn't even know Florida State got in a bowl. I mean, I know everybody gets in a bowl now, but uh, Florida State 6-6, six and six, I guess, against a 7-5 and five Arizona State team, yawn. Navy, Kansas State, yeah. Wyoming, Georgia State, really? I mean, there's not a lot going on here, folks. Not a lot going on in the Bulls. Um, all right, so those are my predictions. We're going to go with Clemson and LSU. Um, now let's turn our focus a little bit to the NBA. So uh, the Knicks, by the way, just one, of course, I'm such a dope. I really am. You know, I, I got a little excited over this Mike Miller, right, the interim coach. Oh, he's just a coach. That, that, that's all gone right out the window after last night's despicable performance at home against a Wizards team that's bad by its uh, already and then was missing like four starters last night. They're playing like all G League guys. And the Knicks, of course, zero effort on defense. Every loose ball the Wizards got, gave up a million offensive rebounds, stupid fouls, dumb turnovers, Julius Randle with the most meaningless 35 points you'll ever see in your life. Knicks blew an early lead, got down 17 to this team, outworked, out-hustled, horrible body language. They kind of made it interesting late because then the Wizards took their foot off the gas because they're an equally wretched franchise. And the Knicks lost like 121-115. They gave up 121 points to a Wizards team that really has one guy on that whole roster. It's an NBA player, and it's Bradley Beal. Seriously. I mean, the rest of that team is Awful. Awful. I mean, even even Hachimura, the fine rookie, wasn't playing in that game. Bertans wasn't playing. Isaiah Thomas wasn't playing. They had nobody. Literally G League guys on that team, and the Knicks gave up 121 points. And you can't get this Julius Randle off the Knicks fast enough for me. Again, he had 35 points. Perfect example of how if you just look in the box score, you were you have no understanding of what goes on. Because his his line looks pretty good. 35 points. He shot the ball pretty well from the floor. Made most, I think he made even, I think he made most, if not all, of his free throws for a change, right? Five rebounds, which stinks, by the way. But, you know, five rebounds, four assists, I think it was. That he is so bad. He's bad. Dribbles around for an hour, turns the ball over constantly. You know what? Let's go to the, let's just go to the box score. I, I, I just, I, I can't stand watching the guy play. And he says all the right things, but then when you watch him play, he doesn't do any of the things that he says. He's, he's so frustrating. Sorry, two assists. 35 points, five rebounds, two assists. Five rebounds for a power forward is an embarrassment. He was 11 for 21, four for eight from three, nine for nine from the foul line. Yeah, I mean, it looks great. Three turnovers, not very good. Not awful, though. But I, I, just, I, I just can't with this guy. I can't. I can't. And, I mean, the Knicks' point guard situation is the worst in the NBA. I think it was Gary Payton's son who came up from the G League last night. I mean, he completely outplayed the Knicks' point guards. And Alfred Payton, by the way, had 12 assists and seven, uh, 12 assists and seven rebounds, only five points because he can't shoot, and he's reluctant to shoot. I mean, he's two for eight. He only took eight shots. You know, he, he tries on defense. You know, he's a good backup point guard. But, I, I mean... <laughs> This is how bad it is with the Knicks. If Frank Nilakina ever had a game where he had 12 assists and 7 rebounds, the pro-Frank crowd would be, you know, uh, carving his bust for the NBA Hall of Fame. Or the Basketball Hall of Fame, rather. There isn't an NBA Hall of Fame. It's just the Basketball Hall of Fame. It's the participation trophy of Halls of Fame. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, it's just, it's just awful. I mean, Dennis Smith Jr., useless. Nilakina played only 11 minutes. You know, he, he played okay in his 11 minutes, whatever. But and the Knicks are just bad. I mean, they're just bad all the way around. And, and again, until Dolan would just bite the bullet and hire a real basketball guy, a guy like a Jerry Colangelo or Brian Colangelo, somebody with a track record of success of building 
a team, and I hate this word, but I'm going to use it anyway, and a culture of winning, the Knicks, this is just what you're going to get. I mean, Steve Mills has proven time and time again he is incompetent. It's a mishmash of a bunch of ill-fitting parts. It's just awful. It's just awful. And again, being bad is one thing, but getting outworked and out-hustled by an equally bad team on your home floor in particular, and it wasn't the second on a back-to-back, so they can't even use the excuse that they were tired, it's unacceptable. And I'm sorry. It's a black mark against Mike Miller. I understand he's only been the, the interim head coach for about a week or 10 days now. Sorry, these guys should be playing with their hair on fire. And last night's effort was anything but. So you've got the big, uh, you know, Christmas Day lineup tomorrow, right? Lakers will be on. I think the Bucks will be in. Bucks, by the way, 27 and 4, just killing it. Celtics are 27. Heat continue to astound at 22 and 8. Big comeback win against the Jazz last night. Raptors minus Kawhi. Still plugging along at 21-9. I mean, that's very impressive. Sixers 22-10. Pacers 21-10. The Nets very up and down. I mean, they're 16-13. They played well without Kyrie Irving. Um, You know, just when you want to get on their bandwagon and think they're going to make a little run, they had a stinker like they did the other night against the Spurs where they had a 12-point lead in the third quarter and they couldn't make a shot and the Spurs made everything and then they lost that game. You know, they had a bad loss to Charlotte. You know, they, they, you can't have losses like that, Nets, if you want to, you know, start making a move. And I don't want to hear Kyrie's out. Spencer Dinwiddie, who's his replacement, has been playing great. And that's the East. The West, Lakers are 24-6, and six, although they've lost three in a row. Nuggets 21-8. and eight, Rockets 21-9. and nine. Harden, I think, is averaging 35 a game or something like that. It's unbelievable. The Harden-Westbrook experiment seems to be working for the time being. And Capella's playing great for them, too. Talked about, been talking about him for the last three years now. The Clippers with uh, Kawhi and, and Paul George at 22-10. and 10. I think the Clippers play the Lakers tomorrow. That's the marquee matchup. Um, Mavs 19-10. Jazz 18-12. and 12, And then the rest are four, under 500. Or, you know, Oklahoma, is one, Oklahoma City is one game over. Portland's three games under. Right now would be the eighth seed which is usually not the case in the West. But as we talked about last week, the NBA overall is a product not very good this year. It's not good. Not strong. All right, we'll get you out of here on this. So a couple of great stories. So when Joe Burrow won the Heisman Trophy, um, apparently, you know, grew up a coach's son, you know, middle class, whatever, certainly not a wealthy kid. Uh, grew up in a, in, in a part of Ohio, or very close to Ohio, Southeast Ohio, Athens, Ohio, where University of Ohio, where Ohio University is, um, town near there. One of the more impoverished, I guess, counties in all of Ohio, um, and used his speech, and it was completely unexpected, by the way. Nobody knew he was going to do this to to, to ask for um, folks to make, a, I guess, a donation to like a food bank there. Um, one of his buddies from high school saw that, started his own page on Facebook. Long story short, they ended up raising 500 grand for this one food bank where their annual operating budget is $80,000. And so then they ended up spreading some of that wealth to some other food banks around the country. Just a phenomenal story. You know, you saw, you know, tears in his eyes. It's very sincere. Seems like a great kid. I told you earlier, he wants to go play for the Bengals because he's from Ohio and he wants to be part of the turnaround there. Um, seems like a really special kid. So great story there. Good on you, Joe Burrow. That's, that's an example where social media can actually be a force for good, right? With the Facebook page and the GoFundMe page and all that stuff that, that helped raise all that money. But it started with Joe Burrow with his acceptance speech at the Heisman Trophy a couple of weeks ago. Um, and then the other is a sort of an interesting story. Former Nick Michael Sweetney. Remember him? undersized, burly power forward out of Georgetown, first-round pick uh, many, many years ago. Um, Ate his way out of the league, but really what it turned out was that he was suffering from really strong depression, 
uh, had thoughts of suicide. It all apparently stemmed from when his father died unexpectedly right before he was about to go to training camp. He, as he said, had never experienced adversity as an athlete. You've got pride. You think it's a sign of weakness. Never talked to anybody about it. Um, and food became his crutch, and that's why he ballooned to over 375 pounds at one point. Bounced around, you know, some of the other leagues outside of the NBA just to try to make a living. Um, ended up, you know, getting some, getting the help he needed. Got married, has a family, and now he's coaching at Yeshiva University, Division Three school here in New York City. Uh, and the kids absolutely love him. It is, you know, the classic fish out of water story, I guess. Um, but he has found uh, a new lease on life and a new purpose. He says it's the happiest he's been uh, as a professional, and so good for Michael Sweeney there. All right, that is it for this week's show. As always, thanks for listening. Check us out wherever you get your podcast. This is episode number 21 of Jamal About Sports on December 24th, 2019. Merry Christmas. We'll be back with another show in the new year. So happy new year to all as well. Happy Hanukkah. Peace out.